Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi, this is Larry Sprinkle, and you are listening to the All-American Spook Show Podcast. Welcome once again to another edition of the All-American Spook Show Podcast. As always, I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with my good friend Will. What's going on? And the Professor Smoke. Hey, hey. And today we are going to be traveling all the way back to the year 1986, where heavy metal was king. <laughs> um, well, at least Sammy <laughs> Kerr was king for, uh, for a quick minute at some point in 1986. Um... And we're going to be... Dis- and then he burnt to death. <laughs> and then it, his reign was over. Uh, we're, <laughs> going, we're going to be talking... <laughs> hmm, intrigue! Uh, we're going to be talking about the 1986 cult classic heavy metal movie, Trick or Treat. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of been like a running joke about like uh, throughout like the last two years we've been doing this about like uh, how there's so many movies that are called like Trick or Treat or Trick or Treat or some variation of all that so uh we're finally getting around to one of our i'd say it's probably one of all of our favorites Uh, or at least me and smoke will is this the first time you saw this yeah it's first time i saw it um i guess you know we can go ahead and get out of the way here off the top what what were your initial reactions to this uh as you sit here and watch this for the first time (laughs) to be honest i was a little a little surprised by it uh i i didn't really expect much from it and there were some really good pieces to this. Smoke, what about you? Obviously, this isn't the first time you've seen it, but like, uh, what's your history with it? And uh, maybe take us back to the first time you saw it. Uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't see it in the theater because I don't, I don't remember if it's played. I don't remember if it played locally where I was at or not. I'm pretty. I feel pretty sure I would have seen it in the theater if it had. But uh, first time I saw it was on video, rented it, and uh, yeah, be. Everybody, all the three of us are metalheads, I think, to some degree or whatever. I mean, mine, you know, I'm the oldest, I guess, of the three of us. So, the, uh, that early 
era, I guess, of metal whenever I was... I'd already had a history with it, I guess, before I'd seen this movie, of course. And uh, just that aspect of it was enough to draw me in to rent the movie. I think I'd read about it in Fangoria, maybe an article or two in Fangoria. And uh, probably watched the thing like three times <laughs> before I'd taken it back to the video store. <laughs> just on the first, yeah, first time. on the first rental. Just on the first time I rented it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah from uh, from what I read, this uh, movie uh, was released on VHS like the following year in 1987. So I'm assuming it would have yeah. been at some point in that time period when you rented and watched it. Yeah, yeah, it would have been shortly. I mean, it was a new release. I remember whenever I rented it. In probably eighty-seven, I guess. But obviously, you—if you watched it the three times the first uh, first time you rented it, then it means <laughs> yeah. you loved it. So, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine anybody that was would consider themselves like a metalhead, especially back in those days. I'm sure this was highly anticipated. Yeah. Myself, like th- this isn't the first time I've seen it. I- I've seen it a couple times before, but like I didn't know this was a thing until honestly, probably until it was released on DVD in 2002, because I bought it sometime after that, around that time, <laughs> and I was more like, because I- I'm sure. Uh, if you're a fan of this type of stuff, um, you may have seen the DVD cover for this. It's kind of a cheap ass DVD cover, right? It's just like here's a picture of here's a picture of Ozzy and Gene Simmons from like 2000, and they just slap it on the front, and it says "Trick or Treat." Yeah. Like real, like the font is real cheap ass looking, and uh, they're in front of a house or something, or no, the school, I think. And uh, yeah. yeah. And there's a random skull, right? Like a skull yeah, between yeah, them or yeah. something? <laughs> I don't have it right in front of me, but yeah, it seems like there's something. It's a pretty cheap-ass looking cover, um, but it sold me. I'm like, well, a movie with Ozzy and Gene Simmons in it can't be that bad. So, uh, Or it at least piqued my interest enough to check it out, so I bought it you know, for like, <laughs> God knows, you know, five or ten bucks. Couldn't have, couldn't have been any more than that. It seemed like it sat on my shelf for a while until I finally like put it in and watched it. I'm like, man, this is not what I expected whatsoever. <laughs> but I loved it. But I was like, oh, fuck, this is awesome, you know? <laughs> so I've watched it a few times since then, and uh, I actually watched it twice uh, for this go-around because I watched the DVD, which is the U.S. Uh, version, you know, this titled Trick or Treat, on YouTube, which I will put the link down in the uh, show notes there. Uh, someone has uploaded the entire movie on YouTube, and that one has the title Ragman. So that means that's like the uploaded. they uploaded the European cut or a European version of it on the YouTube. So I actually watched both to see if there were any differences in it. And personally, I didn't see any differences in it whatsoever, except for the title. You know, one is Trick mm-hmm. or Treat and the other one is Ragman. If there were any other differences, I, I certainly didn't catch it. I mean, it, it seems like the, the runtime was about the same too, give or take. So um, yeah. I could be wrong though. There might be some different cut out there. And it, it'd be interesting to see if there's a different cut or some of the deleted scenes and stuff because some, some other things that I found out about this movie that there definitely was at least one scene um, that was shot at, on some level that got cut out of this that was apparently in some early promotional stuff in magazines for the movie that did not show up in the movie. So there there are some there is some other stuff out there. I guess I'll uh, throw out the usual information before we get too much deeper. If you want to email us, you can uh, you know for any questions or comments or anything, you can contact us. The email is allamericanspookshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are at AA Spook Show. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You know you should be able to find us by searching All American Spook Show. We have a T Public page. Same deal. Um, we also have like a, 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 a a link to all these things down in the show notes and on our uh, Instagram and our Facebook and everything. If you find that there's a link in there that has all the links to all these things. So, you know, it's kind of a one-stop shop. You can click on it and there's all the links to everything. 
Um, but over on T Public, you know, we sell T-shirts and face masks and whatever else they'll they'll slap our designs on. Also, uh, like we've uh, thrown out the last couple of episodes, um, we're going to be starting a, starting up a Patreon page pretty soon. So if you got if you guys got any ideas for uh, content you'd like to see or hear from us, you know, some extra stuff. The, like like we said before, the podcast will always be here. It'll always be free. But, you know, if, if you want some extra stuff, you know, maybe you can help us with some ideas for some things that uh, you guys might might not mind seeing or hearing, uh, you know, for an extra couple bucks a month, something like that on Patreon. So just uh, send us any of your ideas for that, you know, and hopefully we'll be starting that up here pretty soon. So, yeah, this is like our weekly celebration here during the month of uh, October. This is breaking a record for us. We're actually putting out a new show for the third week in a row. So this is rare air for us to put an episode uh, uh, out each week. But uh, we, we wanted to put in the extra effort here for the month of October since this is our uh, big anniversary month. And, of course, you know, us being, um, for the most part, a horror podcast, we wanted to uh, kind of have a little extra celebration for uh, Halloween coming up as well. So these are the, those are the reasons why, you know, we're putting out some extra content. And we're getting close to the, the big day itself, Halloween. I guess before we really get into the background information, I'll go ahead and uh, toss to the trailer for Trick or Treat. Wake up, sleepyhead. It's body time! Rock and roll will never die. At least not this Halloween. You've heard of raising spirits from the dead by incantations, right? Yes. I did that by playing the record backwards. You're kidding. Sammy Kerr. He's a rock and roll nightmare. I am a big fan of yours. I've got all your records. Shut up! We are the Bay, and Bay is you. This message is meant for me. How can you listen to this stuff? Rock and roll, rock it up in the sand. Shut it off! Shut it off! done to your stereo i wanted a new one sammy kerr his fans won't let him die he won't let them live you should be loyal to your hero make it turn on you Or treat. Looks like we better check out the party punch. All right, and that was the trailer for Trick or Treat from 1986. I guess before we go into the background information, this was a first for the Spook Show. We were actually able to pull down an interview with someone that was in the movie. Although it's a small role. Um, it, 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 you know, it means something to all of us because we actually, uh, have, have worked with him in the past. There's a character in the movie that interviews Ozzy Osbourne's character in the movie is Reverend Al Aaron Gilstrom. So there's a, like a television host that interviews him in the movie. And in the movie, the character's name is Marv McCain. But the, the man that really played this character is a Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, icon by the name of Larry Sprinkle. He he's a weatherman at a local TV station. We were able to get an interview with Larry, so here it is. If you go back into the um, oh gosh, way back into probably the middle late seventies, late seventies, early eighties, 
Uh, Earl Ornsby did a lot of films down in Shelby. And I was probably, yeah, yeah. I was probably about seven or eight horror movies. And some of that stuff uh, ended up in Fangoria. I was going to mention, uh, it's uh, like you, you had been in a number of uh, movies before this one. Firestarter? Yeah, I, I, Firestarter was the, uh, that's the first one I did down there in, uh, in Wilmington. Um, then I did King Kong Lives, Trick or Treat. So much was going on in Wilmington at that time. I was doing King Kong Lives, having already finished Trick or Treat mm-hmm. at the same time. It was all going. There were about three or four productions going on at the same time down there in Wilmington at Dino De Laurentiis Studios, DEG Studios. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like it was like Hollywood Central going on down there at the time. They didn't last very long, like. They did a bunch of stuff, but it was only like a you know six or seven year period or something like that, and then and it was gone. Yeah, well, they, yeah, then they sold, it, they sold it to. I can't remember. Who they, I mean, it's, it's still there. I mean that that complex is still there. Yeah, uh, they've been they've been still doing a lot of production down there. But he had so much going on at one time down there, and you know the uh, Terminator first Terminator movie was filmed down there on that complex. I'm trying to think what that other movie was. Oh, gosh, what was the name of it? was such a bizarre movie. Uh, it was another movie from DEG, or was it yeah, part yeah. of the Owens D? Another, another DEG movie. I did, uh, it, with Earl, I did about eight films down there uh, in Shelby, and we did all over, all over, Lake Lure, Lexington, all over the area. But the bigger ones were done down in Wilmington. Yeah, yeah, I worked. Yeah, with, I think I still have a few of those on VHS, actually. The uh, Day of Judgment, I think that was one of them, wasn't it? Yeah, Day of Judgment was one, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Dogs of Hell, the you know, Rottweiler 3D. Oh, or something. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't released, they escaped. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get involved with Trick or Treat? Is it because you'd done the other things or just. Yeah, I, uh, I did. Um, I had a whole, other, a whole other career in radio. And so when I was in radio, uh, I had the chance to do a lot of freelance work. I had an agent called JTA, big agency out of Charlotte. I mean, they, I would go on casting calls. I would drive down to Wilmington or to Charleston, mainly Wilmington. Probably, I, would, I was down there, driving down there two or three times a month to be rejected most of the time. Uh, so, I mean, I, you know, we got a, uh, I got a call from JTA. They're casting for a film, uh, kind of a horror movie type film being shot in Wilmington. And so, uh, I mean, I, I went down and read for it. And they said, yeah, we're, we're looking for a guy. In this particular case, they were looking for a guy like me who's in television who was going to be a talk show host. And so, I mean, that was podcasting right there. That was a host of a TV show. And... He had a really special guest on the show. Yeah. <laughs> we we had read some stuff about like Ozzy's part. What that was entirely ad libbed. Is that is that true? Like they they didn't really give him any lines or. What I tell you what happened. Ozzy was cast to, to play this uh, crusader against rock and roll and evangelist who was down on rock and roll. Charlie Martin Smith uh, directed it. Charles Martin Smith, who was a pretty well known actor. Uh, really good guy, and so when I got there, I got there, and Ozzy hadn't arrived yet, and he said, Larry, he's a little, you know, he's he's never done anything like this. Ozzy, at this time, 1986, had really had not done any television. He'd been to a couple interviews, and that was it. You know, it wasn't really until the 90s that you saw him on TV all the time, and they said, you know, he's a little bit nervous, so we'd like you to work with him, get to know him, spend some time with him. So uh, he, he was on tour at the time, and he came up in his tour bus, you know, got off the bus. And I'll tell you, the one thing 
that I immediately noticed was the fact that he was entirely with it, clean, sober, in great shape, really a nice guy. I'd actually met him years earlier when I was in radio in Memphis, and I emceed this uh, this rock show that had Brownsville Station, Ted Nugent and the Amboy Dukes, and Black Sabbath, featuring Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. And he was outrageous, outrageous at that show. And uh, so he was pretty crazy at the time. But when he got off the bus, he came over, you know, you know hey, I'm uh, Ozzy, it's great to meet you. I said, Larry Sprinkle. And he, he said, looking forward to doing this. And Charlie said, Charles Martin Smith said, look, we're going to set this up in the studio. It's a talk show set. You do a talk show. You know who he is. You know his reputation. Not Ozzy, but this guy that was a crusader against rock and roll. And just do it. And we're going to roll on it. And so after about, first of all, after about maybe three hours, four hours in makeup, I sat there with Ozzy and talked to him because if you look at him in this movie, as he said to me in the mirror, he said, Larry, you know, if my mom could see me now, she want me to come back to England, just be a bus driver again. My hair's so short. <laughs> they braided that hair down. So his sh- his hair looked shorter than mine in the movie. That was all braided down. So, you know, we finished. And that, this is where I really got to know him pretty well. I mean, I asked him every question imaginable, everything that he had done before, his reputation. I said, oh, I said, you know, I said, I actually saw you in concert. I introduced the whole show and you had what I thought was a bat <laughs> biting the head off of it. He goes, Oh, let me tell you about that. He said, I only did that one time for real. And the rest of the time was just a rubber bat. So I think the show I saw was a rubber bat, but he, he said, he did that one time. He said he had been involved in, you know, every imaginable kind of hallucinogenic, <laughs> but he said he was over that. He said, I'm working on alcohol. I still have a few beers. That was 1986. Mm-hmm. And he was totally, I mean, really totally sober. And, and as, as I said, really a nice guy, very humble guy. And he said that, you know, he was kind of nervous about doing this, this film part. But I said, don't worry about it. We went, we went in the studio. It was set up just like any talk show set. We had props, lots of albums. And all of the albums, with except for exception of a few, were either Black Sabbath or Ozzy albums that we used as props. And he would hold up and go, I, I can't believe this album right here. Look at this trash, what they're doing to our children. They're, they're making their minds so demented. So, you know, we did a whole talk show, which I, I'm sure if you looked at the tape, it was probably a 45-minute talk show. And within that, they got everything they needed for the movie. Yeah, uh, one thing I read is that they got like 45 minutes worth of like I guess usable stuff from him, but obviously they only used yeah. you know a couple minutes of it. Yeah, right. I mean it was it, it. I mean it turned out on film fine. I mean they got exactly what they wanted. I mean he, he performed it well. I mean it was all, you know, I he he enjoyed doing that, especially using those props. Yeah, that yeah, he had, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> just just the irony of it all. Yeah. Did they now? Did they? Did you do uh, everything with Ozzy? There was that in Wilmington, or was that somewhere else? Wilmington. It was at the uh, the NBC affiliate in Wilmington. It was shot there in their studio. Okay. And within their studio, they constructed a set, a talk show set for the you know this talk. Marv McCain. My name was Marv McCain here, 
and uh, he was the guy that interviewed Ozzy. And we were there and spent probably, I mean, as, as far as the entire production part of it, this, it was a whole day there because, you know, you had, uh, you know, he had to be in makeup and then they had to, you know, camera angles, lighting had to be, you know, all that, everything that, you know, typical films do. And then just time kind of hanging out with him and then, and then doing that, uh, that, that so-called talk show that, that they excerpted piece, bits and pieces from so that, so that Sammy could take it or just rake him off the screen. <laughs> I mean, the movie is such an interesting film. It's, it's almost one of a kind because the movie itself is bloodless. It is a kind of horror movie, but not one drop of blood. They call it high-tech horror. That's what they ended up calling it. Yeah, I think we were uh, talking about that, that like it's really we, – we always kind of do a, a gore score when we talk about the movies, and, like, this one's fairly low. Like, yeah, it's all kind of implied. Like, you know, people just kind of zap, they disappear, you know, they don't – they don't blow up or anything yeah. like that, like you would think they would. And the one lady you did pull out of the TV, you pulled her up and yeah. dropped her. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, it was a very well cast movie. I, I thought that, uh, you know, Ozzy being cast who he was, you know, Gene Simmons. They originally wanted Gene Simmons to play the lead in that, the rock and roller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they wanted, and he he just uh, he didn't like it. And I'll tell you something interesting about, you know, the film itself is um, you have a young guy. Was it 1986? I think it wrote yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we shot that, uh, I think, in June of 1986. And it was released in October 1986. But, you know, Mark Price, who, who had been uh, skippy on Family Ties, he, he played the, the young guy in it. And uh, so I had shot, already shot my parts of uh, Trick or Treat. And I only work with Ozzy. I did not know. The only thing I did know that Gene Simmons was going to be in it. But the other casting, I didn't know anybody else. I'm already working on King Kong Lives. There are a bunch of us, day, we call day players, where you, your part is, um, you know, only takes maybe several days to shoot. I played the part of a, of a TV reporter in King Kong Lives. And so there are about five of us guys sitting in a, in a green room. Our scenes were, were going to be shot in the morning. So we're all waiting for breakfast. And this guy comes by, young guy, and he goes, he looks in, he goes, hey, how you how you guys doing? And uh, doing okay. And and they said what they're supposed to bring us breakfast. He said, what do you want? So five of us ordered breakfast. 45 minutes later, he comes back in with a box. And he said, here it is, handed it out. And we thanked him. That was Mark Price. <laughs> we had no idea. And he was such a nice guy. We thought he was just, you know, like a, you know, an assistant, production assistant. Yeah. And so that's how nice the guy yeah. was. And then later on, Charlie Martin Smith, Charles Martin Smith comes down the hallway with Gene Simmons. And he's going, Charles Martin goes, okay, you can rewrite it. And Gene Simmons says, I'm rewriting every part, every part of what I'm doing. And so I guess... His part as the DJ, he he rewrote that. He yeah. didn't like the way it was written. Huh. But, you know, turned out fine on film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'm assuming you've you've sat down and watched the movie, right? Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting? I had, uh, because that was 1986, I really had not seen that since then. And so I sat, I actually sat down and watched it. And forgot, I totally, for, really kind of forgot about, you know, Everything, all everything took place in that. Who was in it? Uh, I forgot that Doug Savant was in. Doug has now become a you know well-known actor. A lot of people uh, know Doug Savant from soap operas and a couple other uh, other films. 
so yeah, I thought you know I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was it was kind of a neat film. I, I thought I liked the I liked the high tech and the music was pretty awesome. Fastway did a great job. You know they were a pretty well known, you know, relatively well known rock band out of England. And the fact they did the soundtrack, I thought the soundtrack was great. Yeah, like the entire uh, yeah, soundtrack definitely. is uh, just like one of their albums, basically, right? I think. Yeah, yeah it really, really was. Yeah, I, I think that they did did the album knowing it was going to be used in the film, but. You know, it, it did pretty well, sold pretty well. And, you know, they were never like a top 15 uh, band, but they're pretty well known in England. And they had several years there where they had pretty successful albums. And unfortunately, the two the two guys that formed the band have passed away since oh. in the past several years. Yeah, because wasn't the uh, guitarist was Fast Eddie Clark, right? And then the bassist yeah. was uh, Pete Way from UFO? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The bo- it's, it's both the past way of the past on. Uh, but yeah, I thought the music was great. I thought the, you know, the cinematography was fine. Um, effects were good. You know, the effects in it were great. Uh, so it was, it was, a, it was a neat film. It was, uh, you know, as you say, not the most awesome film of all time. Not the greatest horror movie film of all time. In fact, I wouldn't. I would call it more of just like a kind of an exciting piece of rock and roll music with. Uh, some nice music in it. You got uh, Ozzy Osbourne is in it. Gene Simmons is in it. I think they've repackaged that film. And, the, and on the packaging, you have Gene Simmons and Ozzy as if they are the stars. Yeah, of it. yeah. but it, it has definitely become a, uh, I guess you call it a Halloween tradition for me. I, I watch it pretty much every Halloween. <laughs> I, I Every year, it's interesting, every year for many, many years, including sometime this past summer i can't where was i cannot remember where i was no 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 it wasn't summertime it was this past winter nothing, nothing was going on in the summer uh i was at uh low not, where was i oh gosh it was boy scout scouting for food and this guy came up he brought some food and he said would you autograph this i wouldn't autograph well i thought he was talking about like a you know one of our station pictures and he actually had you know he had the i don't, I don't have a prop with me but he had he goes the CD he had that. Uh, I'm sorry, DVD of Trick or Treat, and yeah. uh, so that's happened. I mean, I've had have people call me or email me or I meet people who, say, yeah, I, we yeah, we love that. We watch it every Halloween. So I think there's kind of a little bit of a cult following for that movie for for whatever reason. You know? Oh yeah, I think I saw something Slate like uh, th- that particular character, Sammy Kerr. I think he has a, a huge cult following, and uh, the guy that yeah, played, and, and, the guy and, that played him, he's passed, he's away. passed away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He passed away some years back. Yeah. He was, uh, I can't, what was his name? Hold on a minute. Uh, Tony Fields? Yep. Yep. That's it. Yeah, that was it. Yep. Tony, Tony Fields. Fields. Tony Fields was um, pretty well known dancer. He was in a, a chorus line, the movie A Chorus Line. He was in a couple Michael Jackson videos. So he was, he was pretty well known dancer. And then had you know had a pretty decent career in the in films and uh, acting and everything. There was a subgenre of a. Uh horror movies i guess at that time right it's part of the whole heavy metal horror friend or subgenre you want to call it like rocktober blood was another one that came out around the same time yeah and there's uh, a few others yeah, yeah high tech high tech horror yeah. high tech high horror, horror yeah <laughs> yeah and it made i think you know it made it it was never a box office smash but it you know it made its money back made its budget and everything and uh it gave charles martin smith who you know who had been an actor at that point chance to get into directing and he was a, he was really a nice guy good director and uh and people love working with him uh so you know it turned, turned out to be a fun project i think i still occasionally get a uh one of those big residual checks i think the last one i got from trick-or-treat was like maybe it was uh 
three dollars and ninety eight cents. Because you know it goes, you know, it starts here and then works its way all the way down. You know, the first several years you do okay, and then after that, I mean, I've had, I've had, I've had residual checks from some of the things I've done. I had one literally. It's no joke. Somewhere I still have it. Three cents a check, for three cents. And I wanted to get the that. Of, oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Was the, the labor and the and you know the, the paper it was printed on probably cost hundred times more than the check was worth. But you know they still they still have to do it. You know those SAG yeah. films. You know that was done back. Uh, Trick or Treat was done back when when uh, North Carolina was very very active in the film industry. So many projects were done here, and I hope it comes back. I think it is starting to come back again because they're now paying production companies incentives again to come to the state to film because we lost millions and millions of dollars when the incentives were taken away a few years ago. Yeah. So hopefully come back again. Yeah. We'll do some more. Yeah. (laughs) More high tech horror. Yeah. We need trick or treat too to come. (laughs) All right. Well, I I guess uh, we appreciate the, uh, the time Larry and uh, I'm sure like whenever we get to talk about Firestarter or one of these other movies that you were in, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again about it. Yeah, I worked with Drew Barrymore in that when she Drew was I think she was nine or ten yeah. in that. Yeah, that was a while yeah. back. Uh, <laughs> what nineteen eighty four? And then there's some other some other really really bad horror movies I was in. I'm talking about just I think they went directly from filming to drive-in movie theaters. And then just disappeared, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those those probably aren't even on IMDb, I assume. <laughs> I don't think so. The, the worst of all time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, we'll, have to, we'll, we'll have to do Dogs of Hell and get you on there if we can find yeah, yeah, Well, I got a copy on VHS. Yeah. <laughs> Killer Dogs from Hell, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good to see you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see you again. You Larry. Larry. All right, so that was our interview with uh, Larry, the one and only Larry Sprinkle. Um, it's really cool to uh, not not only to catch up with him. I mean, I know it's been a while, you know, that all of us have been able to talk to him. But it's just cool to get that, you know, a different view of the movie and uh, some funny stories from Larry on uh, working on this movie with uh, Ozzy Osbourne and everything like that. So that, that was pretty cool. So I guess we'll go ahead, you know, with that, we'll go ahead and get into the background of the movie itself. All right, so this movie was released October 24th, 1986 by De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, which uh, is short or uh, that's the long version for uh, in short they uh, a lot of it was just called DEG DEG it was released under a few different names worldwide here in the United States it was and I'm sure in some other areas it was called it was called trick or treat in Germany and I guess some areas in Europe it was called ragman which we alluded to earlier like that's the version that you see uh, someone uploaded on YouTube and some other countries it was called death at 33 rpm which that's a pretty good uh, title pretty cool, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, now, now the uh, European version, the Ragman version, does it just start at the scene where his car is there with the license plate where it says Ragman yeah. and his car just peels out? You would think, no, there. you would think, no, but uh, it does not. <laughs> it starts at the same spot, like everything's the same except it's got like a, a different font for Ragman than they do for Trick or Treat. That's the only difference that I saw. <laughs> did, it, did it just throw it up there? Like, uh, I remember watching a lot of uh, foreign movies, you know, like Italian. Spanish movies and they, they have English translation of the title for the American movies and it'll just start and then all of a sudden a really bad title card will come on with just the no, American I, name and the musical kind of stop and be disjointed then it'll go back to the other <laughs> no I mean like it was like it was <laughs> it was there like it belonged and frankly it looked better yeah. 
it looked better on the screen to me than the, the trick-or-treat title card. Trick-or-treat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in uh, some other areas, it was called Death at 33 RPM, which I think that name makes more sense than trick-or-treat or Ragman, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Yeah. I, mean, you uh, yeah, I think the trick-or-treat, I guess, I mean, I, like I said, I haven't, haven't found anywhere where they said, and I'm not sure if you did or not, why they called it trick-or-treat, but I just, of course, assume it's just because it was cash in on, of course, Halloween, you know. That's the best you, I could sure find. It wasn't, uh, you sure it wasn't called Trick or Treat and the subtitle Come Back Tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> I saw in some like some versions, I guess on the poster, some tagline or something, it said Trick, mm-hmm. or, Trick or Treat, the ultimate comeback. <laughs> okay, and, and then the last one, I thought this was one of the funnier titles. Uh, in Brazil, it was known as Heavy Metal Do Horror. It, sound, <laughs> it sounds like some weird, like that should be like the German name or something. Heavy Metal Do Horror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, that was in or Brazil. Or just the explanation. Either way, like death at 33 RPM or heavy metal do horror make more sense to me than trick or treat or ragman do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Espe- especially the ragman one. Like, right, I, I get it. Like his nick. Yeah, because that's just total. I mean, that's his nickname in the movie. But yeah, I mean, nobody but, else. Does. It's hardly even mentioned. It's on the license plate, and it's Sammy Kerr's character mentions it as, as he's talking through the record. I think a couple once or twice yeah. or so, and then that's it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah that is kind of a weird. And then that that, that that three minute scene with Gene Simmons, he calls him Ragman. That's yeah. it. Like I think that's it. Like I don't think anyone else refers yeah. to him as Ragman. They all call him Eddie or yeah. Edward. I mean, three three references in the whole movie, probably. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Maybe four at most. <laughs> and then on top of that, there's no explanation of why his nickname is Ragman. <laughs> But yes, maybe that's why they were like, eh, we're not using that here. Germany, uh, for whatever reason, who cares? We're just going to call it Ragman. It's kind of, you know, eh, whatever. But if you're trying to, I guess, tie a movie into, if you're putting it out to Halloween season and you're trying to get people to go into this movie to watch it in the theaters, you know, trick or treat, you know, Halloween horror. So, think, and then heavy metal. I think know. that was their only motivation was that, like, this, yeah, this movie so. takes place on Halloween. So, trick or treat. Halloween's already taken. <laughs> trick or treat. Even though, even though it doesn't play a theme at all, really, no. in the movie, other than. When he's standing on the porch and he makes the, you know, that scene, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I mean, not that it's giving away a, a huge scene or anything, but when he makes the flames come up out of the jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. That's really about the only <laughs> Halloween moment in the movie. Yeah, and, well, and the little girl that comes up and, like, trick, trick or treat, yeah, on my feet, yeah. that's it. And and the running theme of, like, they're going to play this record at midnight on Halloween. That's yeah. it. Otherwise, you know, no reference to it. But regardless, I, I, mm. I'm... My, my whole point in, on this whole little rant is, like, they could have called it something to do with rock. Wouldn't that have made more sense? Because this is clearly like yeah. heavy metal Freddy or some shit, right? So like, yeah, or well, like you said, the French, the French title, heavy metal, or does, Brazil- you know, yeah. it's got heavy metal right in the title. Of it, yeah, so. yeah, the Brazilian title, and horror, heavy, heavy metal and horror, right? Yeah, in the title. Exactly. exactly what it is, yeah. The Brazilian title, yeah, it's heavy metal do horror. That makes more sense. Even death, yeah. even death at thirty-three RPM. If you know anything about records, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Not Ragman and or Trick or Treat. The death at thirty-three RPM is probably my favorite title of that. Yeah. Of those. That's pretty good. Do you know if they had a poster for that? Because I haven't, I've never found a poster for that. The death at 33 RPM. I'm yeah. not sure there was. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. like I, I didn't. That was just in. I think it was in a number of uh, markets that it was called that. So there might be mm-hmm. one out there somewhere. Um, I saw some Ragman, like posters and uh, yeah. you know designs. Oh, yeah, I think I've seen that one. Yeah, but uh, I, I didn't see any of the others like posters for that. But I'm sure it exists somewhere. But the uh, company that put it out, De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, they would they would probably be better known in some of our you know our listener circles like they put out some other films like maximum overdrive evil dead 2 
Pumpkinhead. Now, some of those I think they actually made, and some of them were just distributed. They also did that uh, the animated movie, Transformers the Movie. So it was released in 1987 by Lorimar Home Video. That was on VHS. It didn't get a DVD release until 2002, and that was by Platinum Disc Corp Corporation. And that was uh, the one that I bought, the cheap-ass cover that we were talking well, about. Now we now we now this brings in mind something to me. It's like I've always wondered about this movie. Is I, I had the VHS. I got the VHS version of it, and which has an awesome cover, by the way, compared to the DVD that we've already discussed. You mm -hmm. know, and, and they actually kind of had some restraint, I guess, in that cover as far as not even putting Gene Simmons or Ozzy Osbourne's face on the cover of it. Mm -hmm. They turned it over on the back cover, and you know they they were on the that DVD release. To my knowledge, is the only one that's ever been released in the U.S. officially. You know, yeah, it is, which is weird to me that. It's platinum. I mean, it's it's kind of a you know sort of a knockoff type DVD company. It's not like some big company that took a lot of pain to, and you know remastering and all that stuff. In fact, it's just a four by three. I don't even think it's widescreen, was it? No, it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's four three <laughs> so, aspect. Yeah, that, I don't know if it had to do with rights, this distribution rights. Well, that's what I. Yeah, that's what, what, I, yeah, that, you, now no, that's you, what I found something about. That's what I was about to get into. Now, okay. apparently, in Germany, they did release a Blu-ray version of this in 2014, and it was like a three disc set. And apparently it's an all-region Blu-ray, so if you can get your hands on it, you know it will play here in the U.S. or anywhere in the in the world. It'll it'll play on any Blu-ray player. It's an all-region disc, but it's it's on Blu-ray. Apparently it was a three-disc deal where it's like it's on Blu-ray, it's on DVD, and it gave you the whole soundtrack on CD. But apparently this was a very limited run. Like best I could tell, only like 1,500 copies. So I'm sure it's worth some cash if you can get your hands on it. But apparently they they did plan on releasing a 20-year anniversary edition. I guess that would have been in 2006. Someone, some company did. I don't remember what the name of the company was, right? But apparently the problem is, is why there's never been another proper release here in the U.S. is the music rights is a, are, a pro, are a problem for this movie. And best I can tell, it's not because of the music itself. It's not because of the music by Fastway and all that. It's because all those posters in his bedroom. Oh, that he yeah, and the record album rec record covers and all that. Yeah, all the yeah, all the covers, all the posters and shit of, of all these different bands yeah. and stuff like that. Apparently, that's a huge issue. So apparently, that's why there hasn't been like another proper version of this released. Yeah, I, find, I find it also just kind of I mean ridiculous when it comes to some of that stuff. I can understand not you know not using music without paying for rights, but I mean when you put a poster up. It's almost like free advertising for the band and for the record label, you would think, you know. Yeah, I guess it's a whole thing. Like, I guess you'd have to go through one mm. by one, like, all right, there's Judas Priest. Now we got to get permission for that. There's Kiss. Yeah. Let's get permission. Motley Crue poster. Yeah, yeah, so on and so on and so on. Yeah. I, I guess maybe in 2002, Platinum Disc Corporation could get away with it, but apparently nobody's wanted to touch it since. I don't I don't know what the deal is there. <laughs> or either or either that was just a totally unofficial release. They just did it <laughs> and then that's, took whatever, that's, you know. That's, that's possible. Or got a cease and desist, and then maybe that's why they never – because I remember it being in there a short time, being in, I think, Walmart or whatever, the mm -hmm. $5 bin, right, in Walmart. Yep, yep in 2002 or whenever it came out for that short time and i've never seen it anywhere else on in fact i've never even hardly seen it used anywhere oh yeah that's out of print because um, mm -hmm. you can get it on ebay i actually looked you can find it on ebay but you know you're gonna pay oh is it going for a lot even that platinum it's not, it's not yeah it's not crazy but you know you're gonna pay 15 20 bucks and up for it you know even yeah. that that platinum disc on uh eBay. Wasn't there a version of it released under the Trick or Treat title in the UK or something? Like, did Arrow put out a version of it? I in, in my re maybe, but in my research, I didn't see that. Also, I think also rights. I think are uh, different for different companies, countries, I guess. Right, where yeah, like yeah. you said, some of that, that German disc probably didn't have to worry about it. They just released it. Yeah. 
because uh, it's probably not legally uh, binding over there as it would here for those comp- those bands or whatever. And like I said, from what I saw, it was only limited to fifteen hundred copies. So I guess they were like, "Well, you know, we're yeah. just gonna we're just gonna release this amount. What gets out gets out. You know, we're not we're not liable for anything. Yeah. Right? You know, whatever. maybe that's the number. That's the magic number. Anything over fifteen hundred, you get sued. Who knows? <laughs> and they'll come after you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, best I could tell, though, the lineage of it, I think Lionsgate has a hold of it now. I could be wrong, but I think that's where it lies now. That's like, probably right. Cause- Lionsgate's kind of like a, become like the, the graveyard for uh, production companies that have gone out of business yeah, or yeah. have died. You know? But anyways, like we said, this was released October 24th, 1986, and it was rated R for obvious reasons. The total runtime for this movie is one hour and 38 minutes. On IMDb, it is listed as, I thought the order of this was uh, kind of funny. It's listed as a comedy slash horror slash music. You would think it'd be horror first and then and then a little bit of comedy, but uh, apparently no, they flipped it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the comedy moniker I think is kind of, at the time it came out, I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't marketed as a comedy. I guess the comedy aspect comes from sort of laughing at it as a curiosity of the '80s, rather than laughing yes, with it. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's some funny, there's some funny levity type yeah. stuff in it, but I wouldn't say this was a comedy. But I guess it just a comedy, on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it just depends on uh, how you're approaching the movie, you know. So pretty much the entire thing was filmed there at the studios and like in Wilmington proper, like in the town and all around Wilmington, and it was filmed be- between April 21st. To June 6th of 1986. Now keep in mind, this movie was released October 24th, 1986. So what is that like? About a four-month turnaround, give or take a, a week yeah. or two. So that's yeah, that's pretty impressive considering, like you know, I, I felt like you know, yeah, this ain't the greatest movie in the world, but the quality is pretty good. The special effects are pretty good for a movie that was shot, you know, put in the can and then and then uh, post-production lasted probably give or take less than four months to be released that's pretty good I mean, yeah. budget for this that i could tell was three and a half million and opening weekend that weekend of october 24th of 86 it made 2.9 million it ended up grossing 6.7 million overall best i could tell it was only out for about two weeks and i'm sure this wasn't wide wide you know like i'm sure if you were in uh bigger cities you probably got it uh yeah past yeah that, I'm sure i definitely it, don't remember seeing it in my uh at a small town south carolina yeah we um, had two theaters didn't play there. <laughs> I'm sure it played here, like in, in where we live in the Charlotte area, probably for a week or two. But apparently, best I can tell, it only it only lasted about two weeks. You know, basically, it made it past Halloween and then it was gone. Uh, it made 2.9 million and it was number five that weekend. I'll give you the top ten. Number ten, Stand by Me. You know, the Stephen King adaptation that had actually been out for 12 weeks at that point. It was number ten. Number nine that week, Top Gun. It had been out for 24 weeks. And was still in the top ten. What is that? What is twenty four weeks? That's like six months, right? Something like that. Yeah. Quick math. Yeah. <laughs> this fucking thing had been out for six months at this point and was still in the top ten. That was number nine. Number eight, Children of a Lesser God. Number seven, Tough Guys. Number six, Jumping Jack Flash. Wasn't that like a Whoopi Goldberg movie? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number five, like I said, Trick or Treat. Number four, Peggy Sue Got Married. Number three, and it's open. It's all also open the same week soul man now that's probably a movie that would never be made ever again right like wasn't <laughs> wasn't that the one where the dude was basically in blackface like uh trying to go to college yeah, or something he like was that? he was taking some kind of medication right to make him make his skin black something, something <laughs> I, 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 I just remember that i just remember that enough about that to know that you never get away with that movie ever again so <laughs> and you'll probably never see that movie played anywhere ever again no. at least not on purpose <laughs> number two that week was the color of money. Wasn't that the that was uh, Tom, Paul Newman, right? Paul Newman and Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Tom Cruise had two top ten movies 
this particular week in 1986. And number one, Crocodile Dundee in its fifth week was still number one. That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> you call that a top ten movie? <laughs> Um, the the other movie, or at least you know, that charted here because it only had the top fifteen uh, that came out that debuted this weekend was the movie From Beyond. So there's your little uh, top ten box office snapshot there for uh, for this week. Um, and like I said, it went on to gross six point seven million. So I'd say overall, the, the, at best, they broke even here, right? Because I'm sure the budget three and a half million, and I'm sure they they spent more than that on like uh, um, publicity and all that, you know, because it's usually double the money yep. of the uh, budget. So I'm sure at best they broke even here, which is probably one of the many reasons why De Laurentiis Entertainment Group didn't last much longer after this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you can't last long just breaking even, you know, yeah, <laughs> with every you, movie or or worse, you know. Yeah, if you, if you just put out a bunch of movies that become cult movies, you're probably not going to make a lot of money, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, we might in, we might uh, look back fondly upon you because of what you put out, but that's about it. Like that, that doesn't have much of a monetary. Uh, value to it <laughs> unfortunately yeah not, not for staying alive i guess although you know like you said a lot of i mean most of us probably rather watch those cult you know cult films that broke yeah, even than but, some of the blockbusters that were coming out at that time unless <laughs> unless you're buying it on dvd or blu-ray or vhs or whatever like you know that doesn't have much yeah. of a monetary value to them anymore obviously so so over on rotten tomatoes it actually now there's only eight ratings but it actually has a rating of 75 percent on uh, on the tomato meter on rotten tomatoes like I said, it's only eight ratings, though, so take it for what it's worth. The audience score was 62%, so that, I'd say that's pretty good. And on IMDb, it has a rating of 5.8 out of 10 stars. All right, so I, I found an article, uh, which, you know, I guess I can throw the link to the article uh, down in the show notes here, just so, you know, if you want to read the whole thing for yourself, you can. Um, it was uh, put out uh, about two years ago, so this was, like, from November of 2018 on the website MovieWeb. And it's an article by Ryan J. Downey. And it kind of just lists some uh, facts um, about the movie that, you know, I didn't really know until I found this uh, article. So I, I just wanted to give them credit for, you know, putting all this together. Um, apparently there was a uh, connection, a lot of connections to basically A Nightmare on Elm Street and this movie. Like the, the similarities between Freddy and Sammy Kerr. And uh, basically a lot of it had to do with the fact that the writers of this movie... And uh, one of the FX guys on this movie had worked on the Nightmare on Elm Street. They'd actually all worked on Freddy's Revenge together. And then they came into it. They came into this movie, I guess, like right after that. Um, so there was a lot of connections there. Plus, like, I think uh, the studio kind of saw this as their, in some ways, their version of Freddy. Like, or their version of A Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Instead of, like, uh, you know, Freddy attacks you in your dreams... Sammy Kerr attacks you through the back masking of a record. And apparently there's even a nod to Freddy somewhat in the, uh, you know, the fact that he's burned and half of his face is burned and looks kind of like Freddy a little bit. It's not necessarily a, a direct connection to Freddy and Nightmare on Elm Street, but it's there are comparisons there. This movie has, like, basically it had a one-line pitch. Like, he goes in to pitch the idea for this movie. It's one line. Kid plays record backwards to unleash revengeful ghost rocker. <laughs> They're like, here you go. here's three and a half million. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> apparently uh, too that was a thing at the time too like uh back masking you know uh the the parent council what uh, in back in the 80s being freaked out by metal and rock and everything and you play oh yeah the whole parents emrc parent music resource center thing right? yeah yeah there's all that too like that's at play here i mean obviously they they, they well, there's they, a direct scene in this movie that reminds me the anniversary i think of those senate hearings where uh d snyder was talking to the 
counselors, you know, about heavy metal and everything, and where they thought they they thought they would have this brain dead metalhead musician talking, you know, talking out his ass basically, and then they would just eat him alive. But he went in there with uh, his notes and is very refined and knew what he was talking about, right? But there's a scene in this movie that reminds me of that is that you know, hearing with uh, Sammy Kerr talking to the committee that's supposed to kind of like be the PMRC because it was lifted directly from those hearings. You know. The satanic, yeah, I think that's, the satanic that, panic and all definitely. that. Definitely. Yeah, satanic panic in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. You know, that was uh, all those things are at play with in this movie as far as. Uh, and also, like you said, that uh, the, the writer, I guess, right, was kind of autobiographical, but also watching the movie was like kind of like that for me. That's probably why I watched it three times in a row was because I, I was already a metalhead too. And I. I connected with his character that way. And I mean, I didn't have any like school bullies, like bullying me for liking metal or whatever, but it definitely was ostracized. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the main thing at the time. So kind of getting a little spoilery. Like I, I, I haven't said it uh, this episode, so I'll go ahead and say it now. We are a spoiler podcast. We're going to spoil the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, you should probably go check it out before you continue. Uh, but that being said, I thought it was funny that like, they kind of crack on him for being a metalhead, right? And beating oh yeah. Down. Yeah. But then, like, when the band shows up at the dance, everybody's like, yeah, rock and <laughs> yeah. roll, you know? <laughs> well, 100%, I was going to mention that, too, once we got to that scene as well. Yeah, I was like, yeah. totally hypocritical, oh, yeah. which <laughs> reminds me of going to school. I was, you know, Metallica, right? I was a huge Metallica fan. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about, like, early, like, Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets days, when nobody would, like, listen to them at the school I went to as far as, you know, that... It, when I listened to it, it was like, oh, they're satanic. You know, this is, how, you, how you listen to that satanic music? Yeah. And then, of course, the Black Album hits. They're all over MTV, and then everybody's all over Metallica's jock. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of that same type of thing that hit sort of, you know, Which I think bit was, hypocritical. The director for this movie is Charles Martin Smith. And, and talking about hardcore heavy metal, you don't get much more heavy metal than Charles Martin Smith. This was his directorial debut. He, he went on to direct such uh, such films that, you know, w- these are all in Willie's DVD and Blu-ray library. Um, he directed Air Bud. He directed both Dolphin Tail movies. Um, you know, the first one's the best. <laughs> well, ah. every, everyone knows that, dummy. <laughs> uh, like I said, nothing... Yeah, but the no- second one, they just became derivative of Flipper by the second one. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> like I said, nothing says heavy metal like Air Bud and Dolphin Tail. Um, <laughs> He was also, but but uh, honestly, he's more recognizable for, he's an actor himself. He was in American Graffiti, Starman, The Untouchables. Uh, he was in uh, an episode of Tales from the Crypt, the one called Halfway Horrible. Um, so, like, and you would recognize the guy, too, for sure. Like, he's one of those character actors that's been in a ton of television and movies over the last, you know, 30-something years. He's definitely recognizable. And he actually has a cameo, small bit part in this movie. He plays the principal. Remember when they have the, the Halloween dance? And there's a guy that gets up on stage that's got like a uh, one of those those jokey clown, not clown nose, but you know, the glasses that have the nose stuck to it with the mustache. Oh, yeah. He's wearing the, that. The one that looks like Hitler's wearing glasses? <laughs> with, a, with a big nose? Um, <laughs> yeah. That one. That dude wearing that, that's him. So as far as the character of Sammy Kerr, the, the people that made this, they initially wanted... Uh, like a real-life rock star, to play the role of Sammy Kerr. R- reportedly, they actually talked to Wasp frontman Blackie Lawless about being Sammy Kerr. I don't know exactly, you know, what happened there as far as, like, why he didn't do it, but, you know, they ended up landing on uh, Tony Fields. What I found is the reason that why he didn't want to do it is uh, uh, they thought that, the, that Wasp was going to do the soundtrack, and yeah. when he found out that they had Fast Way to do it, he didn't want to get up there and lip sync to another band's music yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> i guess i could see that it makes- you know but in in this time period you don't want to be you don't want to be a poser you know yeah <laughs> <Not a poser. laughs> 
That's the that's the only thing that could drag uh, Sammy Kerr out of the radio was he called him a uh, what did he call him like a fake metal poser or something like that? <laughs> then he yeah. jumps out. No, <laughs> no, yeah, and then he's in the back. Like, no, yeah, he's yeah, on the... yeah. <laughs> So apparently the the character of Eddie the Ragman Weinbauer it was played by Mark Price, which at the time you might have known him as the uh, as the next door neighbor Skippy. From the show Family Ties. <laughs> That's what I knew him from when I saw this movie. When I first saw it, I didn't know he was. I didn't know who was in it. I think when I first rented it, and then I thought, "Oh, Skippy from Family Ties." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another person that they talked to about this role of uh, Ragman was Keanu Reeves. Apparently, he, him, uh, Mark Price himself, said in an interview that like uh, he was up against Keanu Reeves for this part, and he won out. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> And then apparently a couple years later, these same producers went on to make Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So <laughs> I guess it turned out for one of them. Excellent. <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> dropping in sounds. That's that's actually Will. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I referenced this earlier. There was there was at least one deleted scene that people know of from this movie. Apparently there was a scene, or uh, at least a picture of a scene, that was put out in some magazines, like, you know, kind of in the press before this movie came out. Of Ragman dressed like, kind of like, kind of like a Conan the Barbarian type. Apparently, there was a scene where he was gonna like imagine himself as like the dude on the front of a heavy metal cover, you know, <laughs> as like the Viking with the Viking <laughs> like, uh, like a Man of War album. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I guess they did it, and then for whatever reason, they just decided to uh, cut it out of the movie, so no one ever saw it. There's only pictures of it that existed from like you know. Fangoria or some other magazine at the time where you can see him standing there like kind of like holding a sword or an axe or something up and uh that girl that uh uh Leslie you know the character Leslie that you know he ends up I guess kind of becoming his girlfriend um she's kind of mm. sitting on the ground like in a bikini like you know at his feet or the cover of National Lampoon's Vacation either one thank yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that now remember the scene the ghost sex scene with the girl in the car mm. and she's uh mm -hmm. getting felt up by a ghost and you see that demon briefly. Yeah. Now that was that was made by a special effects designer by the name of Kevin Yeager, but he's the same one of the same dudes at least that designed Chucky, and he also worked on Nightmare on Elm Street three, four. I think it was actually two, three, and four, which I, I'm assuming that would have been before around the same. I can't remember exactly when those all came out, but it would have been around the same time this came out. Um, but that that demon thing was designed by him, right? And it actually has a name. The name of it is Skeezix. <laughs> and the whole, I guess, idea behind Skeezix was that, you know how Iron Maiden has Eddie, mm -hmm. the character on like every single Iron Maiden album, you know, that mummy yep. looking dude, zombie, whatever the hell he is, is on the cover. And Megadeth, Megadeth has a character named Vic Rattlehead. Apparently the idea was to copy that, like Skeezix was going to be Sammy Kerr's version of Eddie. Basically. And I guess, like, if they were ever going to, if Sammy Kerr was going to blow up, because, like I said, they kind of looked at it like Freddy Krueger a little bit. Like, aha, this is going to be our version of Freddy. So, like, if, if Sammy Kerr was going to blow up and they were going to make other Sammy Kerr movies, then, like, this would be the character that would kind of have a bigger role later on down the line. They See, definitely used him on the uh, VHS cover. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. put a picture of that up on Facebook. <laughs> so He's you featured prominently there. You only see him for, what, maybe, like, 10 seconds? In the movie, yeah, but clearly yeah. they, they, yeah, but clearly they had bigger designs for this, and they even named him Skeezix. <laughs> but Maybe apparently, we should change the name of the podcast. Yeah, the Skeezix podcast. <laughs> like we said, this movie was directed by Charles Martin Smith. It was written by Rhett Topham. That's the story, and then the screenplay was written by Michael S. Murphy, 
Joel Sasson, Glenn Morgan, and James Wan. Now, Glenn Morgan actually went on to write, like, I think, like, a bunch of episodes of uh, uh, X-Files. Like, a ton of them. Like, he was a producer mm-hmm. and a showrunner or something like that on X-Files. He produced the, uh, the movie Willard and a, a handful of other things. So, he's actually uh, had, a, uh, had himself a long career after this. Um, and I think he actually has, like, a little role in this movie, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, duh. He's Roger. <laughs> he is uh he's uh eddie's main friend roger and apparently like he didn't really act much after this like basically he just went into writing and producing and stuff like that he's only got this one acting credit that's it like he never i guess appeared other than maybe some little random uncredited cameo or something like that he basically never appeared on screen again which i thought he did a pretty good job in this movie of acting like you know yeah. He's kind of he's kind of the comic relief, right? But like I think he delivers it pretty well. Yeah. Like you know, it's it's not yeah, it's, it's not overly corny. You know, every time he does something, it's pretty funny. So um, there's definitely some talent there, and apparently he just turned to uh, behind the camera to use his talent instead of in front of it. Yeah, because some of his other credits were uh, the first Final Destination, the third one, and then he directed a uh, Black Christmas remake. I'm assuming that means the one from uh, what was it, '06 or something like that, not the one that just came out last year, right? Right, '06. Yeah. So the movie. Stars Mark Price as Eddie Weinbauer, Tony Fields as Sammy Kerr, Lisa Orgolini as Leslie Graham. That's his, Eddie's girlfriend in the movie. I get loose girlfriend, right? I, I guess she ends up being his girlfriend, but you know, clearly she's got the hots for him, and uh, uh it takes a, a heavy metal maniac to bring them together. <laughs> That'd be awesome if that was the description of this movie. Two two lost lovers come together with a heavy metal maniac. She, I mean, she did a handful of things after this, but like, I, I wouldn't think it's anything you'd be like, oh yeah, I remember her from that over this. Also stars Doug Savant as Tim Haney, the lead bully of the movie. He's been in a number of things, uh, some of which you'd probably remember. He's still active today. like He's still in things all the way up to the year 2020 here. But he was mostly be known for, apparently he had a pretty big role in the, uh, the show Desperate Housewives. He was in that 1998 remake of Godzilla. And uh, he was also in Teen Wolf. That might be another one that uh, people recall from around the same time period. Well, Teen Wolf came out probably almost, yeah, it was 1985. So, just short, yeah, yeah, shortly before this movie came out. Um, he hadn't done much up until then. Like, he'd only been in a couple of TV shows. Then he made Teen Wolf, a couple more TV shows, and then Trick or Treat. So, he was still fairly new on the scene. The girl that ends up having the, the, the ghost sex with Skeezix. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine Joyce, which the character she played was Angie Wine. No, I'm I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong. That was not her. This is Eddie's mom, Elaine Joyce, which played Angie Weinbauer. The one I'm thinking of was Jeannie Wooster, which was played by Elise Richards. Uh, going back to Elaine Joyce, though, for a second, uh, who played uh, his mom, Angie. You may know her from a movie called Motel Hell. Apparently, she had a role in Beverly Hills 90210, uh, The Love Boat. I guess she was on there for a little while. I think she's kind of one of those. I mean, everybody, everybody ties back to the love boat. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't love boat, it was definitely Fantasy Island. <laughs> she's definitely a recognizable face. Like if you go back and like watch a lot of TV shows from the '70s, the '60s, and the '70s. I mean, she was in the Red Skelton Hour, the Carol Burnett Show, Green Acres, Love American Style, Kojak, Hawaii Five-O, Quincy Emmy. I mean, Charlie's Angels, all the major shows of the 70s. Chips. She was in at least one episode of just about everything. Also, I think, Smoke, didn't you mention this a handful of episodes ago? The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, That was a takeoff of, uh, was it Lobo was a character on BJ BJ and the Bear. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, she was in an episode of that. So, there you go. And The Incredible Hulk. 
that was probably another one too that like <laughs> that like uh, actors in the early 80s you, you probably had a role in a random episode of the incredible hulk man this yes. just the list just keeps going on and on dude uh hotel magnum pi heart to heart uh and like we said uh or like i said love boat she had a handful of episodes of that and the one you just mentioned fantasy island she was in that as well <laughs> <laughs> simon and simon how about so, riptide was she in riptide so no. i don't see that but god knows it's probably in here somewhere <laughs> her last credited roles were back in a handful of episodes of beverly hills 90210 so like 95 to 96 something like that she's still alive but apparently she just doesn't act anymore so elaine joyce now going back to the one I was mentioning a second ago, the girlfriend that has ends up having the uh or the girl that ends up having the the sex with Skeezix there, <laughs> Elise Richards, that character was Jeannie Wooster. This would pretty much be it. This this would be the only thing. Unless you've ever seen she only has two acting credits. Trick or treat and a movie called Valet Girls from nineteen eighty seven, so it was a year later. So I swear though, like she looked more familiar to me than that. Maybe it's just because she kind of looks like somebody else. I don't know. I thought she looked like the uh, young version of uh, Uncle Jesse's uh, wife in uh, Full House. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Stamos. So we yeah. have yet another connection to Never Too Young to Die here in this episode. <laughs> the girl <laughs> the girl that had sex with Skeezix kind of looks like the girl that had sex with John Stamos in Full House. <laughs> it's Stargrove. <laughs> Star Child. <laughs> Star Child, Stargrove at all times again. Yeah, exactly. Which brings us to Gene Simmons. He plays Nuke in this movie. Ironically, I think one of you guys pointed it out before we started recording this episode. This is the third Gene Simmons movie that we've done here on the podcast. So we're we're kind of already <laughs> tapping ourselves out on Gene Simmons material because he hasn't been in that much stuff. I'm sure there's a few more I we can pull up. A few up. other ones we'll get to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of my personal favorites we got to get to at some point is, even though it's not horror, I mean, it's a cult film, exploitation type thing, is I Wanted Dead or Alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so he plays like a really small role in this as Nuke. He's the radio DJ. Um, we've already been through, I mean, I, I think you know who Gene Simmons is. He's the demon in Kiss. You can go back and listen to uh, the Never Too Young to Die or the Kiss Meets the Family of the Park episodes to kind of get a little bit more of his resume. And, of course, Ozzy Osbourne as Reverend Aaron Gilstrom. Ozzy hasn't been in a lot of things. I mean, you would think being who he is, he would have been in more things. I mean, there's still plenty of credits, and he's been in a ton of, like, random things, but, like, I don't know if he ever really had any, like, full-on movies or anything, like, he's the star of. I mean, it's, he has 70 credits on uh, IMDb, but most of these are music videos. So, you know, that, that, hardly, yeah. that hardly counts, you know, when, like, half of them are Black Sabbath yeah. <laughs> and Ozzy uh, videos. And apparently he's in a, a, Osborne's. a rap music video <laughs> So right before this in 1985, You Think You're Tough by Rat. And, of course, he was at WrestleMania, too. I don't think anyone should uh, forget that. But as far as movies and stuff are concerned, like, he hasn't really done much. I'm looking down the list here. He's the band manager in the Jerky Boys movie. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, mostly, uh, that's the other thing, too. Like, the stuff he is in, like, private parts and a few others, he's just playing himself. Little Nicky, he's in that. He's just he's yeah. playing himself, you know. So, like, <laughs> he's never really dabbled much in the acting. But, like I said, it's probably for the best, knowing... Uh, how Ozzy is, right? This was a movie that I just recently watched uh, because my daughter's uh, big into Trolls. Uh, he he is the voice of King Thrash in Trolls World Tour. <laughs> you definitely tell that it's him. I mean, like they play the character up like, yep, that's definitely Ozzy, you know. Um, oh, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't try to change his voice at all, huh? No, he's, no, he's no. Just it's, just, it's just Ozzy. <laughs> it's basically like, uh, well, we can't, we can't put you really in this thing. It's animated, so we'll just make a character that pretty much looks and acts exactly like you, and you just be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one that I'll mention here, Alice Nunn plays the character of Mrs. Sylvia Cavill 
Now, once again, it's very brief, about like Ozzy's, right? She is like the older woman in the movie that's on, like being interviewed. That's like one of the parents, like on the PTA or something that's against heavy metal music, right? So like she's on the TV and she's being interviewed and like eventually Sammy Kerr, like uh, it's the one where he reaches into the TV and like grabs her by the throat and pulls her out and she's, she's all fried and stuff. And turns her into a, a you know, a burned, burned hot dog or something. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> and Roger like vacuums her up later on. <laughs> In <laughs> large chunks. Yeah. yeah, that was hilarious. That yeah. was hilarious. That was <laughs> trying to vacuum it up. Oh, but yeah. but anyways, you may most remember her from Pee Wee's Big Adventure as Large Marge. I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, holy shit, that is Large Marge. And then I had to look it up just to make sure. Yep, that's her. She doesn't have. I mean, like she's got 54 credits on IMDb. It was mostly small little memorable roles like that. But, you know, on IMDb, I'd always, like, list the top four that someone is known for. It lists Pee-wee's Big Adventure for Large Marge as, like, the number one. She played in Mommy Dearest back in 1981, and she had some role in the Phyllis Diller show back in the late 60s. Otherwise, you know, just small roles in TV series and all that. But I thought that was pretty awesome that uh, Large Marge has a small role in this movie. I, I wouldn't say it's as memorable as the Large Marge scene, but uh, it's pretty funny, though. You know, just the fact that he reaches into the TV and pulls her out and, like, fries her to a crisp. And you notice, like, when she's all fried, fried, uh, she's still pointing her finger, like, like up in the air, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a still, that was one of the still photos that was in that Fangoria magazine that I remember seeing before I, before I'd rented the movie with Sammy <laughs> Kerr holding her up with that, with the finger pointing. I don't, burned up. I don't doubt that at all. What is it? Hey, why it's buttercup, popcorn, it's butter, too hot popcorn. Mix it up, wrap it up, Buttercup is born. It's delicious. So nutritious. It's a taste delight. It's so munchy. Crisp and crunchy. You'll enjoy each bite. Eat butter-crunched Buttercup. Popcorn at its best. Served in a king-size cup. It beats all the For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, you can do a quick search of like horror or Halloween or anything you know, for this time of year on Audible, and you'll find tons of uh, cool things to listen to. I just did a brief search, and I found Scream and Scream Again, Spooky Stories from Mystery Writers of America. There's a, a number of articles, such as R.L. or uh, articles, authors, such as R.L. Stein, Megan Abbott, Chris Grabenston, Heather Graham, Bruce Hale. Um, this is uh, almost 13 hours long, this collection. And it's narrated by Ramon de Ocampo. So that one, uh, I'm sure, would be pretty entertaining uh, for 13 hours of Halloween horror listening. I've just found Halloween Fiend by C.V. Hunt, which is narrated by Furthy Luthi. Uh, that one's about three and a half hours long. So that's uh, definitely more brief compared to the, the first one there. But uh, still, I'm sure it's pretty cool. Fireside Stories, Halloween Special. By Esel Pratt, Amanda M. Lyons, Jim Goforth, and a number of other offers. And it's narrated by Terry F. Self. Uh, that one's three hours and 41 minutes. Tons of examples. I mean, we've listed them off here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, tons of cool horror and Halloween collections and ghost stories and haunted houses and stuff like that. Tons of it. Like, literally hundreds, if not thousands of them on uh, Audible to, to, uh, to go get. So... Like I said, you, use, you go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow, you sign up, 30-day free trial, but you also give you a credit, which you can use for one free book. And if you, you're like, you know, I don't want to, I really don't have the money to pay for this, you can cancel it, you get to keep that one book. So 
go get yourself that like 14 hour uh horror story book and then just you know if you, if you don't want to pay for anything just go ahead and cancel it and you get to keep it so to download your free audiobook today go to audibletrial.com slash spook show again that's audibletrial.com slash spook show for your free audiobook all right i guess with all that out of the way we'll go ahead and get into the movie itself trick-or-treat 1986 starts with uh basically it starts with eddie getting picked on at school like you 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 quickly realize like right out the gates that like uh this this dude is like the school ass clown, right? Like as far as like, you know, he didn't really put up, you know, put up put up much of a fight for himself, and they just kind of push him around. So like it also like kind of interspersed with this is that you see uh, Eddie writing a letter like on his bed. So he's kind of narrating this whole thing. Like you see him getting picked on at the school, and as he's like, kind of like reading this out loud as he's writing it, it, turns out he's writing a letter to Sammy Kerr, lead singer of a heavy metal band. Which I don't think is there even a name for Sammy Kerr's band. It's just <laughs> nah, Sammy Kerr. I don't right? think so. Yeah, you would think they, I mean, I guess it's just Sammy Curry, kind of like, uh, you know, how many how many different Ozzy Osbourne? True. Just uh, but the Ozzy, name of the band, I guess. But but, uh, but, but you would think they uh, they would have had a cool band name for them, you know? Yeah, like Skeezix or something. <laughs> <laughs> Skeezix would be that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he's writing. He, like I guess Sammy Kerr is like his hero, right? So he's and he's got in his room. He's got posters all over, you know, like Iron Maiden and Kiss and. But there's one big poster of Sammy Kerr kind of looking down at him disapprovingly. <laughs> Which, by the way, Eddie's got an awesome room, right? Not just because of the po- yeah. not just because of the posters and everything, right? But just like the whole setup of it, man. It's like it's an enormous room. Is it supposed to be? I don't know that they. It looks like an attic, you know. It looks like an attic space, but I don't remember it showing his mom when he goes. She goes up the room. Doesn't seem like she's going up to the attic, so to speak, you know. But it looks like he's got like a furnished attic. Yeah, I think that's kind of like what you eventually establish that it is. Remember when he comes into the house later on in the movie with Leslie and they're trying to find the uh, keys or whatever? I think that's kind of where you finally kind of figure out the geography of the room is that it's upstairs. I I think it's kind of like an unfinished attic that he's turned into his room. But it's a huge room with like, you know, the kind of the A-frame of the ceiling and everything. He's got an awesome stereo uh, system in in his room, which is very upsetting later on. So it shows him, like, writing this letter to Sammy, and, like, he signs it Ragman, which is one of only the few times that you hear Ragman in this movie. <laughs> it's him writing it real big on the letter. Next, you see the uh, Sylvia Cavell interview where she's talking about uh, Sammy Kurt. That's Large Marge that we just referred to. Um, this is the first time you see her. Then apparently at the end of it, like, Eddie's kind of walking around doing his laundry or whatever. He's just doing chores, and then, like, he starts listening to the interview, and then at the end of it, by the way, Sammy Kerr, dead today in a mysterious hotel fire <laughs> so he of course he's just like he's all angst ridden and furious about it so he goes into his room and he just rips all the posters off of his wall right like he just like how how many dollars that uh he rips off the wall like this stuff has got to be worth now, yeah right? i know yeah that that's a cringy <laughs> scene for me because i mean no not that poster no. <laughs> i mean these days you know back then it was just like hey we need some heavy metal posters they paid a couple bucks for it you know yeah they, those they, posts now he's ripping up for probably a few hundred dollars <laughs> oh yeah like that judas priest like uh what was that like british yeah. steel or something defenders like, of the fate yeah yeah whatever it was, like, was that one too. it's like and a, the british steel yeah they had yeah, a, the razor like a, blade yeah one yeah it's steel. like a banner on the wall that he rips down i'm just like oh no yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he goes in there and just rips everything out and he's about to rip the sammy kerr poster down and then he stops like like i said like sammy's looking at him all dis- disapprovingly like looking down at him like mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't touch that one so right after this he goes and visits i guess his friend nuke who's the radio dj which is played by gene simmons he's all pissed and down about sammy kerr being dead and nuke tells him that he's got sammy kerr's last recording 
and it's on like this thick acetate recording, like a big record. And uh, he gives it to Eddie, which I thought was hilarious. He's like, this right here is the last and only recording of uh, Sammy Kerr. I'm going to give it to you. He said, well, I thought you said you were going to play it at midnight. Oh, I am. It's on the tape over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought you just said it was the last recording or the uh, the only last copy. Last one. Yeah. <laughs> I said last one. Well, it was, one. except for the dub I made of it. Just like the dub I made of that VHS tape. All the- no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Take it easy. <laughs> By the way, kid, get get out of here because I got another kid. Another kid that's in the Sammy Kerr. He's gonna get the last one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be the neighborhood, you know, the neighborhood king around here. Yeah. <laughs> the DJ. Got about five more of these acetates to get through. Yeah. <laughs> Beat it. Uh, I just sit around and give out acetate records to every poor kid in the neighborhood. <laughs> they all think I'm cool because they got the one and only acetate. <laughs> and now they have cancer. And because I, they all think I'm cool because I'm Gene Simmons. What'd you say? Nothing. Um, so it's a very brief, I mean, like like we said earlier, it's this whole scene maybe is like, you know, at best five minutes, probably not even that. And that's all you see of Gene Simmons. Like I said, you do hear his voice a couple times later on, but like that's yeah. it. You, you don't see him any. Like, uh, the DJ recording. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah. But you don't... it's funny. Like to me, like this is probably one of the best scenes that I've ever seen Gene Simmons in. Like he's he's not <laughs> yeah, trying to yeah. overdo it. Like no, it's true. I think. I mean, I, you I, could de- you definitely believe that he's a radio DJ. I mean, he doesn't try to be Gene Simmons being a radio DJ. <laughs> right. <laughs> I agree with what y'all are saying, but it's also got a hint of like I don't want to do this. Like I. I'm not saying he's mailing it in, but he's clearly like, all right, I, I only got about an hour to push this out, so <laughs> I guarantee that's at most two takes, and he's and he's out the door, right? <laughs> um, but you know, still, you know, for for what it is, I, I think he does a, a good job in the little small role. So the idea is he's going to play this uh, record on midnight on Halloween, like that was Kerr's last wish. Now, apparently, the connection there, which you kind of have to read between the lines, is that Sammy Kerr grew up in this same town and went to the same high school with Eddie. And this guy, Nuke, so, yeah, everybody all right? Hello, Smoke. <laughs> Damn. Ah, good Lord. I'm back. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Sammy Kerr. I thought Sammy Kerr had got you. <laughs> <laughs> he came through the speakers, man. Wild world. Number nine. Number nine. Peter is dead. <laughs> so you put together in this part that apparently Sammy Kerr went to the same high school and grew up in the same town as Eddie, and that like Nuke grew up with him, and so they were friends. Yeah, that's, that's so I guess that's how he got a hold of this last recording and all that. And the whole plan is to play it on midnight of Halloween. So uh, Eddie's back at school, and then this girl Leslie comes up and she invites him to a pool party. So uh, he shows up at the pool party to meet her, and then these dudes like instantly like. Uh, Tim and these other guys are like, get out of here. What are you doing here, right? So they kind of gang up on him, and then they push him into the pool. But, like, right before they push him in, they put, like, a, a three-pound weight in the <laughs> in his backpack and then push him into the pool <laughs> to, like, get him to sink Murder to the bottom. Spine. Yeah. <laughs> this will be hilarious. <laughs> and then they put... Hey, Look, he can't swim. He can't get up. Oh, that was great. All 17 people, come here and stand here at the edge of the water. Check us out. Yeah. This will be hilarious. <laughs> Watch this dude drown man. out. But I'm, I'm more focused on the fact that it was only like a – it couldn't have been any more than a five-pound weight that they put in that dude's backpack that, <laughs> that sunk, apparently <laughs> sunk him to the bottom. <laughs> and he couldn't take his shoulders out of the strap. Yeah. <laughs> it was because, it's because it weighed so much. I could get it if, like, some dude had picked up a 50-pound weight and strapped it on his back right before he got in. But it, I'm telling you, it couldn't have been any more than five pounds. Look, there is I a think thing it was a called frisbee. survival of the fittest. <laughs> yeah. 
but uh, like you said, everybody's kind of standing around watching watching him drown basically until Leslie finally shows up, jumps in the pool and gets him out. But he leaves anyways because he, he's pissed about all this. He goes home and he puts on the album, and I love the name of the album too, by the way, Songs in the Key of Death. <laughs> Clearly a rip on the old Stevie Wonder uh, Songs in the Key of Life album. <laughs> Yeah. So this is the songs yeah. in the key of death. So he puts it on, and then instantly, like, uh, like, like uh, I thought it was funny. What do you do when you're really pissed? You want to rage out? You put on a, an album called Songs in the Key of Death, and then you go sit in the recliner and fall asleep. Because <laughs> he, <laughs> he has a dream. That's some good music right there. Yeah. <laughs> so as this playing, and it's like the back masking, you know, that stuff going on. He's having this dream of like Sammy Kerr doing like a full-on satanic ceremony, right? Like he's sitting in the, the middle of the floor, and like there's a couple of dudes on fire behind him, and the whole room is on fire, and he's just kind of sitting in the middle of it. And uh, then he wakes up to the music playing backwards, and then he goes over and like and then plays the music or the you know spins the record backwards, and you can hear the words "Let them hurt themselves." The bait is you, something like something along those lines, right? Like let the big fish hook themselves. So hook I think themselves, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the bait <laughs> You're is the you. bait. The bait is you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he gets the idea, like, uh, so he's gonna he's gonna get revenge on uh, all the bullies the next day at school. You know, so he comes up with this elaborate plan of like he places like uh, the janitor's water bucket like in in this certain place, a chair like an office chair with wheels on it, and then he goes into the cafeteria and he dumps the food tray, the lunch tray on the uh, on the main bully Tim, and so then of, of course all like eight dudes go chasing him down the hallway. And they hit that chair, and then, like, a couple of them, like, spin out and hit the lockers. And then he knocks over that water bucket. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, that scene. And this jumps over. That guy's over. dead. Okay. Oh, yeah. He, he killed him that day. Will, Will, you need to add him into your kill count at the end of this, because this, <laughs> this dude launches. Like, and, and the other thing is, too, he doesn't even hit the water from the bucket. He jumps over the bucket and then slides out a door and flies down a flight of stairs. Like, and it looks like it's not even the same door to me. Like, you know, when it flips out to the angle and you see the guy like, whoa, yeah. like launch over the steps. I'd like to know how they did that. Like, they, they must have had three dudes like, all right, uh, roll camera. And then they just tossed him through that door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm sure he landed on like a mattress down on the bottom of the steps or something. But, man, this dude gets it. I mean, he gets some serious air. After he jumps over this bucket, they keep chasing uh, Eddie. And then eventually, uh, Eddie kind of hides in another room. And then they bust into another room with a fire extinguisher and douse all the teachers. Like, they, they bust into the teacher's lounge. So, he, you know, so now they're in trouble. So then, like, after, like, now he's convinced, like, the record was talking to him. So he shows Roger. Like, Roger comes to his house and he plays the record for him. You know, you hear the backwards talking and everything. And Roger's going, yeah, you know, that's back masking. They do it on all these, you know, these stupid metal albums, you know. Uh, and Which, I, by the way, I got I got to take a moment. I got to take a minute here to talk about one of those too. That this whole bat masking thing that was going on. Uh-huh. And I had like uh, I think it's Overkill's first album, Feel the Fire. At the end of I think side two, I guess at the end of the album, after the song's over, it's a little bit of gap of space or whatever. And then you hear something go rip, rip, rip. You know, so you obviously tell it's something playing backwards. I got to play it forward. You know, spin the record backwards to get it to play it forward. And it and, says, uh, and Sammy there's no message the here. You're going to ruin your needle, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they even... Uh, which he, is kind of like the same thing that What's-His-Name tells Weinbauer, you know. Which I don't see how it would really mess your album up. I, I would think it'd mess your needle up. No, right? I, well, yeah, having, having also done did the DJing thing for a while there with Violin and Turntables, it, 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 it will run... If you scratch the same record at the same spot every time, it will wear a groove it, or wear out the grooves a little bit, depending on... 
especially the needle if it's if your needle is getting worn down too. Mm-hmm. So that when the record plays over that spot, it'll sometimes jump and pop or whatever over that spot. So it will it will dig into the record if you do it multiple times in the same spot. But playing it backwards won't, you know. Yeah, yeah. Unless you <laughs> just, just... Play, just turning it backwards is good. If you're scratching back and forth, back and forth, yeah. Yeah, unless you just sit there and did that same section over and over for ten hours straight. Yeah. It's probably not going to mess you yeah. up. <laughs> but so, anyways, Roger's skeptical of this, but uh, so he leaves, and then Eddie starts playing the record again. And then this time it starts playing backwards, and it clearly says Ragman. Like, it's clearly talking to him this time. And he actually starts talking back to it. Like, all right, well, what, what's the plan? What should I do? And then it says Metal Machine 66 Crush. So then I guess he puts two and two together that, like, he means, like, Room 66 at the, at the school. It's like the metal shop. So he goes in there uh, the next day, Eddie does, and sits down and, like, starts having his lunch. And, of course, Tim and the other goon, the guy that's supposed to be a high school guy, but he looks like he's 45, um, they walk in and <laughs> and they instantly start going with it. Now I tell you right now, I'm gonna personally. I don't need machines and ghosts to kill you. If I'm sitting there eating my lunch and they dump me, because you know it's one of those desks that's connected to the chair and they like flipped it over and dumped them in the floor. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get up and make you eat that desk if you do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> but he just kind of cowers in the corner, and then uh, Tim's coming for him and gets close to one of like the drills. I don't even know what exactly what kind of machine that is. Some kind of press drill machine, whatever. He's wearing a tie. The machine grabs his tie, like pulls him in, and then this 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 drill starts coming straight for the side of his head, or I guess right at his eye. Eddie's kind of like standing there, like he has the power to cut the thing off, but he's just kind of there, kind of standing standing there staring at it. But then eventually, you know, he cuts it off right before the thing like drills him in his eye. It lets him go, and they take off. And then there's this uh, kind of I guess kind of a comedy relief kind of scene after that of like uh, Eddie's mom. Uh, putting laundry up in Eddie's room, and then, like, she's looking at the records. Uh, there's, like, a what are the records? Like, Impaler? Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to say, I got that Impaler record, and I had that <laughs> Impaler record back then, and I was like, oh, shit, Impaler! You know, like, <laughs> what are the odds? Because Impaler is a very underground, you know, at the time especially. Even now, nobody knows who the hell Impaler is. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody had to be in the know to know to have that record in there. <laughs> I'm sure they must have had some consultation with some... Uh, there had to have been a couple like serious heavy metal guys hanging around. It had to have been some uh, <laughs> some crew guys like, hey, you know, the, if you want to make this authentic, you get this, this, and this in there. You know, there's like yeah. a uh, there's like a Megadeth <laughs> album and uh, yeah, Kelly, my business, yeah, <laughs> business. Yes. Um, but she's looking at his records and she bumps into the stereo and it's playing like super loud, and uh, she knocks over a lamp or whatever. And the Eddie shows up like uh, she's like, I put your laundry up, and he's like, thank you. <laughs> so then Eddie sets up his stereo and he makes his dub. Now that thing goes super fast, right? Like, is that a real yeah. thing? Like, <laughs> yeah. Now, now I've had I've had some high speed dubbing stereos before, but not that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like he, he hits record or whatever, and then plays that record, and it's done in like two seconds. Like, done. Yeah. He makes it for Tim, and he he like puts it in his locker, and this is like here's a makeup makeup gift. <laughs> and then there's this random like at back uh, at the school when he puts it in Tim's locker or whatever. They cut, they cut over to Roger, and he's just standing there staring up a cheerleader's skirt. Like, no one else around, <laughs> cheerleader up on the on the ladder putting a banner up, and he's just standing there like King Perv, looking straight up her skirt, you know? Like, and no one's saying anything. No one addresses it afterwards. Just, <laughs> hey, Roger. <laughs> so then Tim and his girl, Jeannie, you cut to them like later on that night, and they're in their car making out. Uh, he's clearly like uh, half drunk, I guess. So he gets out to go take a, a leak, you know, down down the woods. There's nothing like there's there's nothing like uh, about to get hot and heavy. And hey, I gotta take, go take a piss. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we all hate that one, right? 
<laughs> so like he goes out to take a leak so she's just kind of like Ugh, and she's sitting around she starts messing around with his like she picks up his walkman puts the headset on and then finds a tape so she finds that tape that eddie gave to tim she starts listening to it and all of a sudden she instantly starts going orgasmic right like <laughs> starts feeling herself up and like oh oh feeling her head and stuff and then you see this green vapor ghost start coming like like it's kind of wrapping itself all around her and it starts undressing her like pretty much makes her all the way butt naked just about it like i think it stops short of pulling her panties off so she's basically having sex with a ghost then all of a sudden she's like oh you know she's moaning she opens her eyes and then there's a demon <laughs> like right above her like Bleh! and <laughs> It's Skeezix. That'd be awesome if she yelled it out. No reference no reference point of, of any kind, but yet she knows that this thing's called Skeezix. Yeah. The band's name should have been uh, Metal Machine 66 Crush with Skeezix yeah. as the mascot. <laughs> Even that would have made a better name for this movie. Metal Machine 66. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so the, 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 the demon appears. She freaks out, screams. Then it cuts to Tim, runs back over to the car, and when he opens it up, she's out. And uh, the heads, the headphones that she's got on her head are, like, glued to her ears. Like, he tries to pull them off, and, like, part of her ear is coming with it. And then Tim looks over and finds the tape inside the, uh, the Walkman. Now we cut to this is the uh, the Ozzy interview scene, like, right after this, where it's, it's like uh, Eddie's mom's, like, doing, uh, like, uh, aerobics in the bedroom, and she's got the TV on. And Ozzy is being interviewed by uh, Marv McCain, which, like we said before, is Larry Sprinkle. Tim goes to Eddie's house after, the you know, the incident with his girlfriend, and he calls Eddie out, and uh, he says, I, I don't know what you did, man, but you did something with that tape, so I just want you to stay away from me. And he takes off. And uh, as he's talking, like, there's two pumpkins that, uh, Smoke, you, you referenced earlier, like, there's two pumpkins on fire oh, yeah. on, a, on Eddie's porch. Yeah. And, like, when he holds his hand <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, they got like, little flames at him, and he just makes the flames shoot <laughs> yeah, up, yeah, like, like by, yeah. <laughs> by the pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Eddie goes in. He's freaked out by this because clearly now he knows he's done something to hurt somebody. So he, he starts talking to the record again. Like, he tells Sammy Kerr, like, he's done. I'm done with this. And then Kerr comes back on the record and says, uh, he says Leslie. And then he starts talking about his mom. Like, basically, he threatens him, like, I'm going to hurt or kill Leslie and your mom if you don't do what I tell you to do. Then the stereo starts to light up, and the whole room starts shaking. And then you see, like, it's 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 there's just some pretty cool effects going on here in this scene, too. Like, mm. you see, like, almost like veins pop up on the side of the speaker, um, there's like electricity, you know, like the little blue electricity bolts everywhere, like coming from everything. The stereos kind of like backlight in different colors and everything. And then you see, this is another one of those Nightmare on Elm Street type moments, right? Where you see, like, yep. you see uh, uh, Sammy Kerr's face kind of in the speaker for a split second, like trying to bust its way through and then goes back. Just like, uh, I think it was, was it the first Nightmare on Elm Street where Freddy's like pushing through the wall above yeah. Nancy? You see his hands think... and then you see his face. Yeah, I think that's like pretty much right yeah. toward the beginning of the first Nightmare. Yeah. Then uh, all of a sudden it kind of stops and then there's a bur big burst of like blue light and then all of a sudden Sammy Kerr actually appears in the room. He comes over towards Eddie, you know, he's talking to him. And then all of a sudden, like, the TV comes on and kind of flips to the channels. And all of a sudden, you see Ozzy again. You know, it's more that interview with him on the TV. And then uh, Sammy Kerr just kind of gr uh, grabs a hold of the screen and scratches him away. Like, and he screams, like, Hah! and then just gone. <laughs> Ozzy's gone, and then, like, there's nothing but snow on the TV. And then I think there's some reference a little bit later on. Like, you hear it kind of in the background. Uh, yeah, apparently, uh, whatever his name was, uh, Gilstrom, I think was his name. Uh, I think it's like on the radio or on the TV or something. It's like, yeah, apparently uh, Gilstrom died of like a cardiac arrest or something like that. 
you know, they're, they're just mentioning it like that, like it happened on air, but like, obviously we know exactly what happened. Right. So then, uh, after that, like, so Sammy disappears that he tells him something like, you better do what you better do what I tell you to do. He says something like, don't ever, uh, disappoint your heroes or something. Right. I think is what he says. And then he disappears. <laughs> then Eddie takes a bat and just smashes the stereo. This was another one of those disappointing, like, you know, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> he had a really nice stereo set up, and he just takes a bat to it. And then his mom busts in, and he's just like, what? I wanted a new stereo. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if I'd have done that, my mom would be wrapping that bat around my head. Uh, yeah. So anyways, he calls Roger and tells him to go over to Tim's house, because now he's grounded. He can't leave. He tells him to go over to Tim's house and get the tape and destroy it. So then uh, Roger goes over and gets the tape. And then, of course, he goes home and he plays it. And Sammy Kerr appears and then tells Roger to either play the tape tonight or else. Once again, the TV comes on and it's a large Marge again, Sylvia Cavill. Um, she pops up on the screen and he reaches into the TV as she's talking and pulls her out. And like mid-pull, she just fries to a crisp. Like we said earlier, and her finger's still pointing in the air. And I think it's right after this when you see like Roger... Uh, trying to clean up the mess and he's like he's just running the vacuum into her corpse like trying to vacuum her up and, and dust is going everywhere <laughs> um uh, eddie's mom goes out for the uh for the evening this is halloween night and uh like i said eddie's uh grounded so he's got to stay at home and she goes out with uh i guess it's her boyfriend stan <laughs> i think is what she uh, i think she says his name is stan and the dude's dressed like rambo <laughs> so they got they clearly got some like true 80s costumes going on because the dude's dressed like rambo and she's dressed like uh, madonna and they're going out for the night. So it's, it's definitely prime 1986 going on here. So they leave Eddie at home. Roger and Leslie are at the uh, Halloween dance at the school. Roger's there and he puts the tape on. Leslie calls Eddie while she's there and uh, he hears the tape playing in the background. So he takes off running because clearly Roger didn't destroy the tape. As he's driving down the road, Kerr like takes over the car like through the stereo. Because he's got the stereo. He's still got the tape in the stereo that he was playing earlier. Kerr takes over the car and then the car starts running into stuff, basically trying to chop his head off, right? Like, it runs under a truck and, like, flattens the top of the car. Then the car catches yeah. on fire, and it's going down the street. <laughs> he pull, he eventually manages to pull the radio out, and it stops. But it stops, like, right on the edge of a, like, or on the ledge of a bridge. Like, it's about to, you know, fall right off. But it stops just short. He gets out and runs off. So then you cut to the, the big Halloween dance, and there's a band up on the stage that's about to play. And as they're, like, tuning up their instruments and getting ready to play... One of the guy leans, one of the uh, the guys in the band, I guess the guitar, the guitarist or lead singer or whatever, he leans over to the speaker as he's trying to mess around with it, and then all of a sudden a hand pops out of the speaker, and dude, like there's an explosion, and the dude's guitar flies up in the air, and then all of a sudden Sammy Kerr appears and like catches the guitar, and then there's like a whole five minute, it, you're basically in a concert right now, <laughs> right? He starts, yeah. he, he starts yeah. uh, uh, basically performing an entire smacking his leg. Yeah, <laughs> that's how he gets the party. That's how you get the party started in '86. You just start smacking your leg, and this is where everybody's being very hip hypocritical. Where they were uh, <laughs> giving Eddie shit for being a, a heavy metal guy. All of a sudden, they're all rocking out to uh, the Sammy Kerr uh, concert. Oh, man, come on, it's a pre-concert. <laughs> Who can't get jazzed up for that? And then, like as he's as he's winding down, like getting towards the end of the song. He just turns the guitar on the people in the crowd and like starts shooting electricity at them, and they just disappear. He's like, zap, zap. <laughs> now I did think I did think it was funny one time. Like somebody gets zapped, and you would assume everybody would just like turn into ants and start running every every direction. But nope, 
Let's get closer to the stage. Yeah. It takes at least <laughs> like, like wow, two, that was cool. It takes how do they do that? You know. It takes at least like two to three dudes spontaneously combusting for everybody to freak out. Yeah, <laughs> then they realize all, it's not part of the uh, show or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So then everybody starts freaking out and running, you know, left, right, and every direction. This is pretty much right when Eddie arrives. Like Leslie's then like ducked out to like to get out of her costume, so she's in like the locker room back there. Tim sneaks back there or follows her back there, and then he's kind of like starts forcing himself on her, and then like she's like get off of me, and then he smacks her. And that's pretty much when Eddie shows up. Les- no, I don't think he just smacked her. I think he like punched her like a man. <laughs> I thought he just kind of <laughs> backhanded her, but maybe he did. I have to go back and see one way or the other. And she falls. And she gets up and runs away. Eddie shows up, sees Tim in the hallway, and, like, they kind of scuffle around a little bit. But Eddie's try- actually trying to help Tim. Like, no, you know, enough of this. Let's get out of here. There's a demon coming after us. <laughs> so they're kind of scuffling in the floor. And then Sammy Kirk comes up behind Tim, grabs a hold of him by the throat, picks him up against the wall, licks his finger, <laughs> sticks it in a life <laughs> socket, <laughs> and then explodes him. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do kind of take a little bit less gory route in this movie, though. Like, you know, you don't really ever see anybody blow up. You know, it's right. They just kind of just evaporate and disappear, which it kind of would have been more of a gory, cool thing if you actually saw some people blowing up, right? But they didn't necessarily go that route. They just kind of get, and then they're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. they didn't do the the Viper street trash explosion, body explosion thing. (laughs) (laughs) They went the opposite direction. Um, (laughs) But uh, Eddie eventually finds Leslie. Now Sammy Kerr has him cornered. Roger comes running in and, like, because they're trying to find, like, the power box. Like, well, if we kill the power box, then uh, uh, this will stop Kerr. So Roger comes in with, like, a crowbar or something and sticks it in there. He gets blown back. But, like, uh, as Kerr is coming toward him, he just kind of, like, disappears. Like, as he's moving toward Roger to stop him, that's when they cut the power and then Kerr just kind of dissipates, right? So... You kind of think that that's the end of it, which was a pretty cool little effect too, right? Like the little disappearing act here that they uh, affect that they did on Kerr. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah they had some cool uh, optical effects in this movie. And kind of going back to the time frame of this thing is, you know, like 1986, and this thing was put together in like four months. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Yeah, some of the people they had working on it definitely knew what they were doing for sure. I mean, to, to be able to turn around a, a fairly quality, you know, uh, special effects in this movie. Uh, in a f- pretty short amount of time, it's pretty impressive. On not a huge budget either, right? It's not like this is a twenty million dollar movie. Or yeah, anything. three three million dollars. You said? Yeah, I think, yeah right? I think it was three and a half million. They take Roger out because he's hurt from doing this, but he's still alive. One of the uh, the bully guys calls him out. Hey, that's the guy. It's uh, it's Eddie Weinbauer. So the cops are after him. They take off running. And it's funny, too. Like he's like, he starts running from the cops. And then Leslie is like, I'm coming with you. He's like, why? I don't know. <laughs> but they run anyways. <laughs> and then they kind of get like in a back alley. And then this is, this is when he catches Leslie up. Like, you know, um, this is what's going on. Like, you know, she kind of half believes it. But, you know, I guess she's seen enough now to where she can accept it. So, you know, now she's in on the on the whole deal. I guess you're, you don't see him. Once again, this is Nuke, Gene Simmons' character. You don't see him again. But, like, you hear him on the radio. So you're assuming this is where... He actually, you know, it's almost midnight, so he plays the record. And uh, as they're trying to run down the street, they're trying to go get a car to go down to the uh, the radio station. You hear the music coming out of someone's radio in a house, and he busts through the window and, like, kind of chases them. They eventually get back to Eddie's house, and they're looking for the keys to Eddie's mom's car to get back to get to the radio station. <laughs> I like uh, the way he stops all, <coughs> all these radios, too. Like, the radio starts playing. And he just goes over and just beats it with a bat. And how many radios does they, do they have in this house? And then he just starts breaking it that ain't even radios anymore. Like I think he, I think he like the toaster oven, the blender. You know, like, he just starts smashing Anything everything with electricity. Yeah, basically. 
Um, you we were could, Amish now. You could just unplug it, but no, I'm just going to destroy everything <laughs> out of his own house. But eventually, there's the, he misses the one. There's like a little shower, uh, one of those little battery powered shower radios uh, in the bathroom. He misses that one. Kerr comes through that radio when they go into the. Uh, bathroom to get the keys they get them and then they turn around and he's there he's kind of barricading them from leaving the bathroom <laughs> this is this is where all good things happen in movies <laughs> in bathroom <laughs> but specifically this movie eddie picks up a, a clothes hamper and throws it at him you know this this undead demon of the night <laughs> gets, who has been beating the crap out of everything yeah and and has clearly has supernatural powers he gets tripped up on the clothes hamper and falls, and his hand falls straight into the toilet. And because, you know, of course, he's pure electricity, he just starts getting electrocuted. Now, why this would hurt him, right? I mean, if you think about it, he's dead. He's like a dead demon or something, right? Why this would hurt him, I don't know. But apparently it's extremely painful. He, <laughs> he clearly gets his damn hand out of the toilet. Leslie reaches over and flushes the toilet... <laughs> <laughs> and it sucks him back down into the toilet somehow. <laughs> and this this is, gives them enough of an opening to run out, run out of the house, and get out. Eddie's in. He, they go across the street to uh, to a cop car, which I failed to mention. There was a little scene where a cop shows up, and uh, Kirk he comes from somewhere like another house or something, right? And then he fries the dude, like the dude like. Uh, move one inch and I'm going to pop you. And like, he doesn't even give Sammy Kerr a, a chance to like respond. He's like, move one inch and I'm going to, and I'm going to electrocute you. And then he instantly shoots him with a taser. And then uh, of course, <laughs> Sammy Kerr like turns the electricity around and zaps the cop. Right. So he's evaporated. So Eddie runs across the street. They get into this dead cop's car. He pulls the radio out and then they take off. So they get to the radio station, which is WZLP. And the tape is playing. Now, when they walk in, there was a security guard. That's another thing in 80s movies that we've pointed out, too, right? How come every security guard sitting around reading Hustler or Playboy or something? <laughs> or Playgirl in The uh, in, uh, in the Shining? I guess it was, a, it was a problem. I guess it's such a problem that it became a stereotype. <laughs> I guess. Like, who just sits around? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Who just sits around reading that, like, in public? Like, I'm just reading Hustler, especially something like Hustler, right? Like... Were there even any articles in those things? Like, Playboy, you might be able to get away with it. Maybe. I think, like, Hustler and Penthouse and stuff, that's just, like, pure filth. <laughs> or like, uh, like cher Cherry, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever old magazine you can still that's get. going back. Still get next to the cigarettes at every other, like, truck stop from here to California. What are y'all talking about? <laughs> what is this pornography you speak of? <laughs> but anyways, the security guard earlier, like you saw him in the radio station, he's sitting there reading Hustler. When Eddie and Leslie bust in, there's nothing but like uh, the dude's uniform left in the chair. Like he's done been zapped. He's gone. But they never really mention or show what happened to Nuke, right? Like I, I guess you're just to assume he got he got zapped and he's dead too, right? But like they don't show it. Like they don't even show a pile of his clothes or anything. He's just... They'd look into the room, you know, like to the radio booth or whatever, and and no one's in there. It's floating around, and electricity's like protecting the <laughs> the tape. But you don't see him anymore, right? Like, I guess you just, well, Nuke's gone. Eddie grabs a radio. It's a little one, another one of those little battery-powered radios that was sitting there playing like country music on the security guard's desk. He grabs it, throws it in the back seat of the cop car, and he tells Leslie to count to 100 and then run in there and destroy the tape. He takes off in the cop car with the radio in the back, and then he just talks to Sammy Kerr to get him to appear. And like I said earlier, he says something like, uh, 
you fake metal poser or something like that. And then he appears and he can't get through the little uh, wire mesh, you know, between the front and back <laughs> seat of the cop car. And the, and the entire time, like, like what, what's her name again? Leslie? Leslie. She, she's sitting there counting. And I don't know if y'all noticed, but at the beginning it was one Mississippi, two Mississippi, yep. and then later on, 45. 46. Yeah. <laughs> she just gave up the Mississippi part of it. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, I think she even, like, they, not her, but, like, they even start showing the numbers out of order. I think she goes, like, 45, 46, and it cuts to Eddie, and then it comes back, 32, 33. <laughs> to, Green like, nine. Green nine. Oh, <laughs> But anyways. Is there so a like, niner in there? <laughs> was there a niner in there? Not sure. <laughs> So, anyways, uh, Eddie is he gets he gets Kerr to come out. He's trapped in the back seat, and then he drives the car off the bridge, r- pretty much right at the same moment. Why, why, you know, while Kerr's trapped in the back seat, right at the same moment that Leslie destroys the tape at the radio station, she runs in and destroys it. So, Sammy Kerr is gone. Like, you know, I guess you're to assume this is what did it. He's gone. Now there's all this electricity in the water, but the guy survived. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Somehow, like, even if you somehow survive the electricity it's highly doubtful you would survive a fall off a bridge in the front seat of a car right i mean like that would probably <laughs> severely injure you if not kill you <laughs> nope he's just wet uh he survives and 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 uh, manages to i guess to walk back to the radio station he comes in for leslie they uh hug and kiss then like the last scene you see before the credits is uh eddie turning on the knobs on the radio broadcast and, he, and then he says the same line that nuke said like at the beginning of the movie Wake up, sleepyheads. It's party time. Boom. Then you cut to the another Fastway song and then the credits. Then there is a small after credit scene. I wouldn't even necessarily call it a scene. It's just another little Ozzy cut. At the very end, Ozzy says the line, this could kick you off to becoming an absolute pervert. And then it cuts to black. So <laughs> another little uh, Ozzy nugget right before they call it a day. So there you go from 1986, Trick or Treat. So, uh, Will, what's your star rating on this one? I'm gonna give this one a uh, three and a quarter stars. It's 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 a it's a good fun movie. There are some things that really take you out, like especially the toilet scene. <laughs> but uh, overall, I thought it was a pretty good flick. Professor, what do you say? Oh, this is another one of those personal favorites of mine. And uh, like I say, I, over the years, I've probably seen this thing more than 20 times. I'm sure that's probably conservative. I go and I'm going with four stars on it. Wow. Yeah, that's. <laughs> um... It's up there for me. It's just it, that's just based on my personal history with it, nostalgia for it, and uh, how much entertainment value I get out of watching. Like, I watch it pretty much every Halloween. Well, definitely every Halloween, but not even just Halloween, too. Yeah, just just uh, <laughs> a day that ends with why. That's when I'll watch it. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm, I'm somewhere in between you guys. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give it a three and a half. I mean, I definitely enjoy it. I, this is, like I said, I've seen this movie at least uh, four or five times now, and I, and I enjoy it every time. Um, I don't know if it's one I'm going to put on every year and watch it necessarily. You know, it's not in my regular October rotation, but maybe that should change. Maybe I should play it every year, but it's definitely fun. And it has a lot of personal connections, too, for us, you know, knowing uh, we know Larry and uh, growing up in the in the Carolinas, you know, and this was filmed here uh, not, not too awfully far away in Wilmington. So, you know, there, there are those connections, too, that's kind of cool, you know, that it stands out. I mean, it'll have a special place. So I'm going to go with three and a half stars. I think uh, for what it lacks in some story and, and uh, some acting, I think the special effects are pretty cool for the time. You know, and I think they, you know, for a lot of them still hold up. And even as corny as the name Skeezix is, it's still a pretty cool creature effect. You know, even though you only see it for about 
five seconds. So yeah, I think I think we all agree. Uh, we definitely recommend you going and checking out. If you've made it this far, or maybe you just fast forward to hear what our star rating is, you should definitely go check this movie out. It's a lot of fun. Smoke, what's your uh, gore score on this one? Well, we kind of talked about it a little bit as far as uh, this movie not being really gory. Overly, I mean, really, it's not that gory at all. I can't even think of too much scenes of even blood in the movie. You know, most of it's exploding, blood, bloodless, elect, you know, electric explosions. What is, you know, lightning that he shoots from his fangs, you know, blowing people up at the concert and whatnot. Uh, probably the ear-melting scene of, uh, what was her name in the car? The girlfriend uh, of... Uh, Jeannie. Or not is. girlfriend necessarily, but Jeannie. Yeah. Her, you know, the, the ear-melting kind of thing from the headphones. Really not, not too much gore in the movie. Yet. So I, I think I'd go with a four on the gore score. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, like, a lot of it's kind of implied gore, right? But not a lot that mm-hmm. you see, so yeah. to speak. So, yeah, that's probably about fair. All right, Will, what's the kill count for old trick-or-treat here? What you got? I got 14. I mean, I guess for each individual, you know, you can count it yourself. But I've seen some people get 15, and that's counting Sammy dying twice. Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily count uh, him dying twice as two kills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way I, I kind of feel. I mean, because he's kind of undead at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then you get into that gray area from here on in of like, do, do you start counting zombies? You know, since they're already dead and then they they get their head lopped off. Do you count that? You know, like. <laughs> All right. So, so the final kill count is what you said, fourteen. Fourteen. All right. Yeah, we'll stick with that. All right. So I guess. uh We've said all we can say about Trick or Treat from 1986. I'd say all we can say and then some. It's a pretty uh, deep dive into Trick or Treat, and I'm sure there's probably even some stuff we left off the table. So next episode, next week, we're going to be going more current and far more gorier. We're going to be talking about Terrifier from 2016. Now, you know, we just did uh, All Hallows' Eve back at the beginning of the month, so we're kind of following that up with some more Art the Clown, which... uh, Clearly, this is the one that everyone knows the character Art the Clown from, honestly. And it's also directed by the same guy, Damien Leone. The IMDb synopsis for this is, On Halloween night, Tara Hayes finds herself as the obsession of a sadistic murderer known as Art the Clown. So it's a pretty simple premise there. And uh, I believe there's a Terrifier 2, which I think we talked about during the All Hallows' Eve, that will be coming out, probably was supposed to come out this year, but I, I would imagine probably pushing to 2021. So, yeah, just go ahead and get ahead of the curve for next Monday. Uh, we'll be watching Terrifier from 2016, which I think, was, I know at one point was on Netflix, but I think we looked before we started recording and it wasn't there anymore. So you may have to go rent this or hunt it down in some other some other way, uh, get ready for the next episode. So I, I, uh, anything else to add before we close up shop here, guys? I think we covered it. Yep. And then some. No right. faults met all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I guess that'll pretty much wrap it up for uh, Trick or Treat from 1986. So make sure to join us next time for Terrifier. So for the professor and for Will, as always, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Peace. Later. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you.